It's chaos. It's a different type of Sunday scary. It's your newest obsession. It's Dirty Driving, a Formula One podcast. We're the Hornsby sisters. I'm Katie. And I'm Megan. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. I am beyond ready to dive into all the highs and lows of the race weekend. It was a wild weekend for the Mexican GP. And honestly, Megan and I really struggled to narrow down the weekend into our race highlights. We saw Max Verstappen cruise into his third Mexican GP victory. We saw a third consecutive podium finish for Sergio Perez, who became the first Mexican driver to take home a Formula One podium at their home race. We saw a Botas and Ricardo battle and a fourth place finish for Pierre Gasly. It was a weekend. We had penalties galore. George Russell kicked us off with transmission problems in FP2 that had him sit out for most of the session. He took a new gearbox resulting in a five-place grid penalty for Sunday, leading him to start 16th. We saw a handful of other new power unit components with Sonoda, Norris, Ocon, and Stroll. They all took back-of-the-grid penalties, and Stroll did not compete in qualifying due to this pretty nasty track wall crash in Q1 that resulted in a red flag. Lance was fine after the crash, but it resulted in a lot of work for the team to get the car ready for Sunday. As we head into the final five races of the season, everyone is getting ready for the last push for points. I truly expected to see Lewis Hamilton also take a new engine component this weekend, but he didn't, so we're going to have to put a pin in that one. During qualifying, we saw a Red Bull and AlphaTauri kerfuffle, as my sister would say. And in Q3, the sister teams had some issues. In the final moments, Yuki Tsunoda ran off the track in lap 10 as Sergio Perez and Max Verstappen were doing their fast laps. Sergio Perez followed Tsunoda off the track due to the need to brake, and in doing so, he lost downforce and ultimately lost the car into the turn. As Max came up on the cars, he saw the dust and pulled back in fear of a yellow flag. So Yuki basically cost Red Bull both of their fast laps. And in post-race, Christian Horner decided to pull the ultimate Christian Horner and coined an unacceptable jab at his sister driver saying, I think we got sonoda which was a pretty shitty thing to say, especially to someone within the same constructor family. Um, other teams actually reached out and like offered him support uh, through this. Mercedes was one of them. Speaking of Mercedes, we had a Bottas and Hamilton front row lockout with Verstappen and Perez commanding the second row. The disappointment for Red Bull was sharp due to their performance in FP2 and FP3, where Perez was a full six tenths faster than Hamilton. There was also some worry with the repair on the rear wings of both Red Bulls, both before and during qualifying. It looked like duct tape was holding them together. And there's a tweet I saw from this weekend that I think is the perfect place to leave qualifying before jumping into the race. And it said, Red Bull throwing hands at Yuki like their rear wing isn't being held up with tape. I laughed out loud at that one. That is good. I can't remember who tweeted it, but I'm very thankful for that. Which... Does bring us to the race, and the drama started early, and the joy of Mercedes' front row lockout was very short-lived, as it didn't even last into the first turn. 
So going into turn one, we had Bottas on the right, Hamilton in the middle, and Max on the left. And Max was in the best position out of the three. Uh, But we've got all three of them going into the turn, which most often results in disaster. So Max whips right past the Mercedes on the outside going into the turn. And on the right, or on the inside, Valtteri got tipped by Daniel Ricciardo into turn two causing Valtteri to spin in the middle of the track and causing this kerfuffle that led to Daniel with a damaged front wing. We saw both Daniel and Valtteri dive into the pits for hard tires. Daniel got a new front wing, and when they came out, they were in P17 and P18. The bodice spin caused both Yuki Sonoda and Mick Schumacher to go off the track after they sandwiched the Alpine of Ocon, who got away clean, uh, and both Yuki and Mick were out of the race. Then we saw Antonio Giovinazzi have this stellar moment where he moved up from 11th to 6th, and I think he would have finished higher on the grid had alpha romeo given him a little bit more strategy he made a comment at the end of the race to the team thanks for all the team strategy guys or something along those lines so he was pretty butthurt about that regardless of all of the things that stem from that little incident it was an absolute dream start for red bull and disaster for mercedes which those things normally go hand in hand so hamilton was sandwiched between verstappen and perez and Bottas was at the back of the pack early on so by lap six right after the end of the safety car Verstappen already pulls away from Hamilton out of DRS range he got this quick little zippy start away from him and two laps later in lap eight Verstappen had a 2.7 second lead with plenty of clean air to manage that and Verstappen's early move into the lead would allow him to basically cruise to the end of the race. He led the whole way except for a couple laps that Perez took the lead while Verstappen was pitting. And Sergio led lap 34, becoming the first Mexican driver to lead the Mexican GP. So he came out and broke a couple records. And speaking of Sergio, it was a tough race. He and Hamilton battled for second for a while. Perez had two attempts to chase Lewis down the rest of the race post his pit stop. In one, he got under a second at lap 60-ish, but never really made it happen. And then again, he really failed to make it happen when he had DRS down the main street on the last lap on lap 70. So, Perez had the pressure the whole entire race. Lewis even mentioned that it was clear how fast Red Bull was when Sergio was able to follow that closely behind him. Hamilton did a pretty impressive job holding off the faster Sergio Perez, but ultimately failed to challenge or even put any pressure on Verstappen. Hamilton made it clear that he gave it absolutely everything and was grateful to get second and minimize the points damage. Red Bull have had the faster car all year, but we were really able to see how well the car can perform on this Mexico track. The result was predicted. Going into the weekend, we knew it was a Red Bull track and we really only called that into question after Mercedes surprise performance in qualifying. But really, I was not that concerned about Red Bull not having pace. I was more concerned about there being a four-car pileup into turn one. And we were we were deadly close to getting just that. Which brings us to the Danny Rick and Valtteri Bottas battle. 
Valtteri was stuck behind Danny, who had excellent defense and some very impressive late braking. Botas lamented the race, saying it was very, very tricky being stuck behind Ricardo and that he could not pass. He struggled with engine and brake temperature that limited the amount of laps in a row that Bottas could go on the attack, which is why we kind of saw the ebb and flow of close racing and then backing off. He, it's all about, it's all about tire and engine and brake temperature management. And unfortunately, we can't not mention the 11.4 second pit stop for Valtteri. That was a massive cause of frustration for not just the driver, but the team itself. Bottas would eventually go on to stop two more times in the last five laps for new soft tires. It ended up working on the second attempt, which kept Red Bull from getting one point which doesn't seem like much, but this year the championship could come down to just a couple points, if not one. We saw impressive form from Ricardo and unfortunately just a rough day for Valtteri. We are going to discuss this incident a little bit more in our race questions, so stay tuned. And the next battle we have to talk about is Ferrari and McLaren. And McLaren went into the weekend knowing it was going to be challenging, and that's exactly what it was. So, Danny Rick spent the whole race defending Valtteri, and then Lando eked out a 10th place finish, getting one point for the team. Then we had Ferrari, which got both cars into the top six, and ultimately McLaren drops behind Ferrari in the championship by 13 and a half points with just the next four races to go. And I was honestly impressed by Ferrari and the fact that they pulled this off. There were some uncomfortable moments on the pit wall. Uh, Charles Leclerc was asked to, well, he was ordered to swap positions mid-race with Carlos Sainz because Carlos had the speed. So it was a little dicey. It's always a little dicey hearing team orders over the radio. And lastly... We have to talk about Pierre Gasly because Pierre finished P4. He qualified fifth for the grid and the Honda engine did fantastic. He moved into P4 after the Botas disaster and he spent the whole race holding off both Ferraris. When asked about the race, he was calm, cool, collected. He said, everything was under control with Charles behind and I could pull away nicely. I managed the whole race. So no just a fantastic day like we love him he had an untroubled run to fourth place and he did phenomenal and after his bad luck including his dnfs at austin and monza he was able to capitalize the car had the pace the whole time and ultimately this p4 gave alfatari the points needed to tie for fifth place with alpine with 106 points so again he is the most underrated driver on the grid. Oh, and I forgot to mention one thing. He had incredible consistency with his lap times. That just shows you how comfortable he is with this car and how well he's been doing. It's, it's been very consistent. And now Megan and I are going to dive deeper into the Mexican GP and talk about our race questions of the week. Megan? Hi, how are we? I think we're good this week. I think we are good. I think we have a lot to talk about. I'll just jump in and ask you the first question. Will McLaren have time to recover in the Constructors' Cup? 
I think the answer is probably not. After watching them this weekend, it just, I mean, two caveats. We had a Lando Norris penalty. We had the kerfuffle, which I coined that phrase before the broadcasters did. We had the turn one kerfuffle. We knew that this was going to be a tough race, and that really all happened. Like, the race was just as hard as it could have been for McLaren. At the same time, we see Ferrari finding their pace. They have the new hybrid engine. This is a Ferrari-style track. So all of these kind of things coming together made a whirlwind of McLaren having their worst results of the season, I think. Um, But I just, I don't know if they can recover after this. It seems like they just have lost some pace right after Danny Rick had kind of found his pace. So it seems like we might have a um, McLaren in fourth place and Ferrari in third. We'll see what happens in Brazil. Yeah, I, um, I'm i concerned about them. And it's really a bummer for me to see at least because I felt like, you're right, we were doing well. We had found pace. And after this weekend, I'm not sure how the rest of the season's going to fare. And I'm really not sure how engine penalties are going to go the rest of the season because Daniel Ricciardo will probably need one. And... I don't know if Lando's engine penalty really served its purpose this past weekend either. Like I said, it was just a whirlwind of bad this weekend. So I'm hoping that it's an isolated incident. You know, we've taken all of, we've taken Lando's penalty. Ricardo had that issue with Botas in the first lap. I'm hoping that it was just an off weekend, especially because we knew that this track just was not suited for the McLaren. It was geared towards a Ferrari I don't know. I kind of, I lost a little hope this weekend. They they seemed flat. They didn't seem to be able to find it, is kind of my reaction to the whole thing. Except, I will say, the glimmer of positivity that gives me some, we're not out, we're just a little down, was the fact that Daniel Ricardo was able to de- defend against the Mercedes for the entire race. Yeah, that is... Um... That might be an honorable mention. I think my third question is about that. So we'll we'll jump into that a little bit more. But yeah, hit me with hit me with one of your questions. Well, speaking of Valtteri, what okay. are your thoughts on Valtteri's race? Um it legitimately went from bad to worse. He had the spin going into turn 1, he had the long pit stop. He basically spent the entire race outside of the points. So what are our thoughts? Yeah. What's going on there? Yeah. I feel for that man. (laughs) I've said it before. He's probably one of the mentally strongest drivers out there on the grid, having to be a teammate to the world champion for so many years. And I was really excited for him, A, because he was on pole position. And I thought that maybe this would be, you know, the flip back to Mercedes being the powerhouse and we might have seen a Valtteri, Lewis, Verstappen, top three and then we had the issues at the beginning and we immediately saw him at the back of the grid and we didn't really see much improvement because of Daniel Ricardo. so it was heartbreaking to me in in a sense it's hard because I'm at this I'm at this point in the season where it's time to kind of choose where to throw my marbles And I'm still not sure if I'm throwing them behind Red Bull or if I'm throwing them behind Mercedes. And I think 
what happens in Brazil might decide that for me a little further. I want to see Valtteri do well, and I want to see him not have another long long pit stop with having struggles taking tires off of his vehicle. But I don't know if we're going to see that. They need him to keep the championship points up. But all in all, I would say that he was one of the losers of the race this past weekend. And for reasons outside of his own control. I agree with you. I think this weekend just... Not this weekend. Sunday got away from him. He was doing very well on Saturday. Sunday got away from Mercedes. And I think it was really all decided into turn one, um, which is going to go into my second question. So I'm going to go back to back. So with Valtteri out of podium contention, did Mercedes even have a chance? So like after turn one, Valtteri's in the back. Was there any glimmer of hope for Mercedes in that race? When it first happened, I did see a glimmer of hope. I was like, you know what? This is fine. We've seen Valtteri battle from the back of the grid before. Lewis is still up there. I really thought we were going to have... I didn't think we were going to have a 1-2 Red Bull podium I thought we were, or a double podium. I thought we were still going to have a Mercedes double podium. Again, it goes back to Daniel Ricciardo, which he was kind of the knife in, in Mercedes' side, I think, this past weekend of Valtteri trying to get around him, which then makes me nervous because I'm kind of in this, like, spiral because then it makes me nervous that something's really wrong with the Mercedes engine and they don't know what it is. And I think we saw evidence of that this past weekend. I truly thought they were going to be in contention. And you're right. You said it. I think Sunday really got away from them. And they were just unprepared strategy-wise for what went down in going into turn one. Or after turn one. What's interesting is after the spin, I was like, Mercedes is done for the day. I just... Starting the race off like that, it was just, to me, in the in my head, I was like, it's over. It's going to be a Red Bull day. I truthfully did not think that they were going to be able to push back. And after the race restart, when Max zoomed forward and Hamilton, like, couldn't get pace, I immediately was like, it's, he's breaking away. Unless there is a massive issue and, a, or a horrible pit stop for Red Bull, which is not characteristic of them, it's a Mercedes day. So it was interesting. It was an interesting where my emotions went. I was like, it was like, this is going to be a Mercedes day when we started. About mm, seven seconds later, I was like, it's over. And I think that's why I'm having trouble where to throw my marbles because going into the weekend, it was all this hubbub about how it's a Red Bull track and then Mercedes did so well and took first row and then Red Bull and then Max has the pace and then the turn one incident and I just I'm not sure where to throw my marbles and I want to throw them somewhere but I don't know which team deserves my marbles. Oh I mean I've already made my decision you know I've made my decision. After this weekend I am anti-Christian Horner Um, so I hope they lose. And that has nothing to do with, because I absolutely love Sergio Perez. Like, I wanted him to win this weekend. But after Christian and Max. He's my glimmer of hope. <laughs> it's like I'm not rooting for Red Bull, but I am rooting for Red Bull. It, I think Sergio Perez was a great addition to the team because 
he doesn't really care to get involved in the bullshit. And that's why I really like him. Where Christian Horner's like digging himself into a pit of bullshit. bullshit. Yeah. Like, does that man ever just keep his mouth shut? I don't think so. I really don't think so. I think it's against his DNA. Probably. Let's jump into Daniel Ricardo because he's the old Red Bull teammate and he actually helped out Red Bull quite a bit this weekend. It was questioned whether he deserved, well, it wasn't really questioned through the FIA. Some people were questioning on, on Twitter whether he deserved a penalty for this bullying incident. Um, but I think he does, he didn't get it, but I think he deserves a driver of the day thought with his excellent driving and his excellent defending. Um, well, I definitely don't think he deserved a penalty. I mean, it was three cars going into one, Valtteri, the late braking, something was going to happen. All three of them cannot go into turn one in a row. Something was going to happen. That is my contention, whatever. So no, I don't think that he deserved a penalty there. I do think he did or does deserve a driver of the day thought. Just because of his excellent defense. Yeah. He made his car so wide. I think it was lap 24 or 34. Numbers are hard. But there was... You see the video of his defense around the turn. And he just... He was predicting where Valtteri was going to be into that turn before the turn happened. I mean, he just has late-breaking skills. So I do think he deserved a driver of the day thought. Let's talk about Pierre Gasly. And I know I always bring Pierre Gasly up, but he has just had re- repetitively phenomenal performance. Um, his lap times were consistent as hell. He took fourth by a breeze and even went on to say, I was a bit lonely. The car was so nice to drive. And we haven't really talked about this, I don't think. But do we think Pierre is getting everything out of the Alphatari that he can? Or is there still more to get? First off, this whole race solidifies that Pierre Gasly is the most underrated driver on the grid. People don't talk about him enough. He got zero coverage by Sky Sports. Even if it was just a 10-second, ooh, Pierre Gasly, great race. He's there. He's present. Back to the whatever was happening at that point. No little at all touch of... Any sort of acknowledgement by Sky Sports, which is why we hate them. Once, other than Pierre's in fourth. (laughs) I don't even think they talked about him pit stopping. Truthfully, I don't remember any of them ever saying his name. Coverage was a little better this weekend, but then I then I'm like, oh, we didn't talk about Pierre at all. I would not agree that coverage was better because we had laps. Of Lewis and Checo, and nothing happened. <laughs> but no, back to your Pierre Gasly question. I think that he is getting everything out of that Alphatari. It might have a little bit more, but he is optimizing its performance. That's kind of how I took the question. Like, he is doing everything he can to get everything that he can get out of the car. And I don't know if there's a little bit more power in the car. I don't know if there's a little bit more speed to give. I don't know if. He could change up his driving style a little bit, but it's very impressive what he's doing in the Alphatari. Yeah. I mean, he was up there next to Checo. 
In a Red Bull. In po- in the order. Yeah. I don't know lap time comparisons. I didn't look that deep yet, but I mean, he took fourth. Checo took third. Yeah. I don't all know. in all, he, I think this he, just kind of goes back into this massive spiral that I have where if Pierre Gasly had just been given a little bit more time before being promoted, I, his career would look significantly different. Yeah. What I think Pierre, I, at least I hope, I don't know what he actually thinks, I would hope that his perspective is that happened, I'm going to be better and I'm going to do everything I can to push back on, you know, the bad past. But I do think that his career would look a lot different. He would have had a much stronger rookie year. He probably would still be with Red Bull if they had just given him time. Nine months to 18 months. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. He was he was promoted too quickly, just like I would argue Max was promoted too quickly. Yeah. I think at the earlier days, Red Bull really wanted that young gun driver to take home a championship for them and I think they kind of busted on that strategy clearly and I don't think and I think they finally started to understand that when they chose Sergio Perez I think in an era where we don't have a Lewis Hamilton Max could have been a world champion sooner easy but in an era where you have someone who is just dominant the greatest driver of all time in the greatest car he can be in, I don't know if it was even possible for a young gun to come up and step into that pressure and be able to perform at a high level, knowing that you're going against a six-time world champion, a five-time world champion, in a car that just wasn't there. Yeah, which may be why we're seeing some of the foul behavior come out of Max these days. I'm going to decline to comment on Max Verstappen's foul behavior. (laughs) All right. Well, then we'll just go to the next question. Okay. Last question. And it is a Checo question. Sergio Perez said, obviously, I wanted more. I wanted to win the race, but we finished third. We really don't enjoy it. What could Perez have done, if anything, to win this race? Yeah. Well, I'm going to kind of segue this with my winner of the race because my winner is actually... Perez. It's Checo. And I think the reason why he did not have a better car beneath him is actually because he revealed that Red Bull gave him Max's damaged rear end from FP3 for qualifying. And Sergio even commented that the car wasn't the same after that. And so when I saw that, it really led me to question whether or not Red Bull set up Sergio for success in this home race and I think the answer to that is no I would have loved to see Sergio overtake Lewis Hamilton in the last lap and I'm not sure if that is fully related to car performance and the setup of the car or if maybe we missed it and we haven't heard it yet and he was told to just get up into the podium and not fight too much I don't know what the team orders were, but I fully believe that Red Bull set him up for some sort of failure this weekend. I would agree with that. It was very clear that this weekend was a max weekend, even though it was a Checo home race. 
I will say that I am thankful that we never were in a position where Checo was leading and Max was behind and we even had to have the conversation about team orders, which did stir up like a little discussion on Twitter. It was even asked at the press conferences on media day. Yeah. I just, there seems to be this, this weird thing happening at Red Bull where, and I get it, they're about to potentially get a world champion and it's like they're so hungry that they're willing to cannibalize their sister team, Max's teammate, to allow Max to have a victory. All of that's fine. Do with it what you want. But it just, it really bothers me for some reason. It just genuinely feels yeah. like Sergio Perez is going to be just like, on the cusp of greatness because he's getting Max's hand-me-downs. Yep. Yeah. And for a great weekend that he had, regardless of everything that went on, he was he's the first Mexican driver to lead the home GP. And he's also the first one to take a podium. It was great to see. I think my favorite moment of the whole weekend was watching his little boy up on the podium watching the three get their um, trophies. I mean, can we agree that Sergio Perez's dad and Sergio Perez's son won the race? Like, they get the honorable mention. His dad running down the track with the flag is the the greatest moment. I was also just like, (laughs) we couldn't have gotten him a bigger one. Could could we have gotten a full-size one? And he could have waved it a little bit more gallantly. I would agree, yeah. It was, it was beautiful to see Sergio get to celebrate with his family. I know they don't get to travel to as many races as I'm sure they would hope. So all in all, I think Sergio had a winning weekend because it was his home race and because he got to be there and he got a podium and he, his family got to be there. His dad got to see it. But I think Red Bull set up not only him, but a lot of their drivers up for failure this weekend. And so... I agree with you that it was hard for me to root for Red Bull this weekend, but Sergio Perez is still one of my favorite drivers, so he gets some of my marbles. Well, my winner is Red Bull. Regardless of my issues with them this weekend, it is very clear that it was a Red Bull victory. It was a Red Bull victory in terms of the title fight in the Constructor Cup. We now have Max sitting at 19 points ahead of Hamilton, which is not enough for me to say it's a Max title we have four races yeah, I would agree we have too much that could possibly happen in the next four races I think if anything this weekend proves that total wolf's prediction might be correct I can now 100% see this not only coming down to Abu Dhabi but this coming down to one of them trying to take out the other <laughs> Max taking out Lewis on Christian Horner's Orders? Maybe. Maybe. Um, that's a bold prediction. I don't know if I can comment on that. That's a dirty take, <laughs> but I have I'm will not put it past anything past Christian Horner these days. But I definitely can see that this is, this is not over. And truthfully, 19 points if Max DNFs, puts Lewis back in control, and Mercedes back in yeah. control. So there's too much to happen, but no. So Max is now 19 points ahead of Hamilton. They're one point behind Mercedes in the constructor. 
But more importantly, outside of being that close or that ahead, I guess, in Max's situation, this allows Red Bull to go into the next two races of the triple header with the momentum. I mean, it's going to be long. They're traveling now to Brazil, which is not a massive time difference. But then they go all the way from South America to the Middle East. And that is going to be a lot harder on their bodies than they realize. And I, 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 who knows what's going to happen in Qatar? Yeah, I think that will be the last kind of turning point of the season. And what I'm so grateful for is that we are going to have fans these next couple of races to keep that momentum going. But after after Brazil, we are... We are strapped in for the for the long haul of the last three races of the season. I can actually kind of like see us interpreting the, the season when we look back in two ways. If we see Max continuing his success, then Austin will be the turning point of the season. If Brazil or Qatar, something massively changes where there is a DNF, there is a Mercedes somehow find power, then I could see that being the turning point that allowed Mercedes to take the win. Yeah, I think it will be much more interesting. Not that I don't think what we're talking about is interesting, but I think it will be very interesting when the season is done and we look back and analyze at what point you can track momentum changing. Because it does feel like it changed in Austin. Definitely. Which brings us to our losers and my loser of the weekend is Yuki um I know we've talked about it a lot so I will keep it nice and short but he was made to look like an idiot by his own big umbrella team of Red Bull and that can do a lot to a driver's confidence I'm hoping that Yuki holds his held up holds his head up high and we don't have any of those issues, but it was really showing of not only Red Bull's character, but Christian Horner's character. We've seen it from Max before, so I wasn't really surprised uh, from the foul comments that were made. But And then he was out in the race due to an incident that was out of his hands, and so he's my loser of the weekend. And I, he's my loser not for any, not for his own fault, for everyone else's fault around Yuki. I feel for him. It's just not fair. No, at all. Um, okay, so my loser is, again, Alpine. I just, this weekend, again, we saw Alpine kind of crumble at the scenes. So we had, while Alonso did make it out of that turn one incident, Ocon did not. He was the one that was sandwiched between Yuki and, and Mick. Um, and while... He wasn't taken out of the race like Mick and Yuki would be. I think it definitely affected performance, overall ability to get back into the fighting contention because it just it pushed him further back in the grid, further back than he had intended to be coming out of turn one. Um, so we saw both of them make it through it, but then we see Alonso really failed to make an impression on Raikkonen. We see Ocon. I mean, again, was he even in the race? They never talked about it. We barely saw him. He had a very long second stint after he pitted. And at the end of it, he had a P13 result. All of this kind of just generally like mediocre performance out of them this weekend has now resulted in AlphaTauri and Alpine being tied at 106 points. And now we have the the fight for fifth place getting even spicier. 
But really, I think the turning point here is that this is now going to be like Alphatari has found their footing with Gasly. Even though Yuki was out this weekend, you know, we see an amazing performance of Gasly. I, I mean, and I think Yuki did find some footing. He took some like steps back. He was out of the race. But I think he is a little bit more confident in that car. And so I, I think the next four races we'll see Alphatari having a great pace, a consistent pace, one which Alpine clearly is is not going to be able to catch because they just, I mean, their performance is mediocre at best, in my opinion. My overarching feelings on this weekend are kind of eh. Yeah. Like, I don't have this huge draw to be excited or to be upset. It's kind of just like, yeah, Mexico happened. There were good things. There were horrible things. I haven't quite found, I haven't quite processed my feelings and emotions about this yet to really have a final, like, Yep, this is how I feel about this past weekend. It feels very weird after this race for whatever reason. Like, I felt after Austin, we were on a high. We were like, let's go. We've got five more races. We've got a triple header. And Mexico was just not as explosive as I thought it was going to be. I get that we can't have a crazy race every race, but I felt like it would have been a little bit more wild. I think it was just missing that thing that kind of summed up my feelings on the weekend. What's weird is the the weekend was incredibly wild. There was a lot of craziness happening, but there was no way of, there was no moment where I was like, this is what this race, this is the significance of it. Whereas with Austin, it felt like, this is a Red Bull step forward where this race just kind of feels like it happened. It almost feels like it doesn't belong in the schedule where it sits. Like this feels like a race from earlier this season, not a race from, you know, the last, the fifth to last race of the year. I would agree with it. I would definitely agree with that. It feels like a much earlier race in the season. Again, maybe we'll look back at this race at the end of the season and have, you know, more significance. I'm just not seeing it right now, other than, you know, this is allowed for Red Bull to push ahead. Okay, so I um, I have some other honorable mentions I've decided. In addition to Mr. Um, Senior, Checo Perez's dad, um, and Sergio Perez Jr., I think the other honorable mention is that the fans of the Mexican Grand Prix, they... They had the time of their lives. Yeah, I, I think they all had the time of their lives. My favorite, I think my favorite thing about the fans is, I guess Checo is a sponsor of uh, a motor oil co- like company that's pop popular in Mexico, and all the fans were going into the gas stations and stealing the big standing cutouts of Checo and brought them all to the race to get them signed, and it was just. Like, Checo, 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 Checo. <laughs> I, remember, and I remember that. that's, like, my, like, favorite fan moment of the whole entire weekend is that they were just... And, like, there were multiple jokes about, like, all over Mexico, like, Sergio Perez's are being stolen. <laughs> I mean, Katie, are you, are you telling me that your favorite moment wasn't when Max Captain Morgan the Red Bull as it rose up to the no. podium? No, that was... <laughs> Actually, probably my least favorite moment of the weekend. It was immediately 
cringy. Because, like, I, I, we were all sitting, we were sitting with our family watching the race, and I was like, the coolest thing is that the car is going to be lifted. And I think Gavin asked, oh, is Max going to be lifted too? And I was like, no, I think he just walks up. And then here he there comes. There he rises. like, oh, no. <laughs> I think I, and ESPN even tweeted, literally ESPN even tweeted, like, we should do this at every race. And my response was, as long as we ban any driver who Captain Morgan's the car. Like, why was his leg up, yeah. like, on the tire? Like, the leg it was just uncomfortable. It. Like, he, him standing on the car, him sitting on the car, I don't care what. But, like, the leg up was just like, <laughs> what is happening? It was very uncomfortable. Like, Kelly Paquette, where were you? Why weren't you like, Max, don't yeah, sit like why that? why weren't you like, sit like this, don't sit like that? I'm sorry, like... <laughs> Why wasn't anybody like, dude, this is uncomfortable? Yeah. I'm sure it was like, I can I can picture being in that moment, like, getting lifted, and you're like, oh, what do I do with my body? Uh, let me do this. Like, he was like, he was like, okay, leg up. And I'm sure. And someone should have I'm been sure like, he, no, I hope leg he's down. kicking himself for that. I hope he's kicking himself for that, but. I'm not going to lie, Katie, that while the joke of the weekend has been Kygo and no one in the family except for you knowing, it was really cool to see the car and then the yeah. DJ stand and then just like massive a massive party. party. That I think we should continue yeah. in all races. But my other question is, is so like how long did the Red Bull stay there? I would think like, at least until the end of the like, set. They had to be packing packing up. Chicago, I'm sure Chicago like, had they an have hour to pack. long set. And I'm sure as soon as it was over, Red Bull mechanics were like, the car, the car, <laughs> the car. Honestly, I think if I was Kygo, because it's not like anybody was up there, I, I would have gotten in the we car. Don't know. Maybe he like, did. Let me check Maybe this there out. Were some rules about let me, not touching the vehicle. There probably was. Now that I think about that, like you will not touch yeah. the vehicle, because technically, I guess that car still hadn't, you know, gone through the proper like FIA yeah, unless checking. Unless someone was up there siphoning. So it's just <laughs> vibing on the was podium, up there siphoning gas while Kygo was up there performing. Excuse me. Let me siphon the gas while he's just, like, up there vibing. There's confetti everywhere. The people are going wild. And they're like, okay, let me pull the steering wheel <laughs> off. Yeah. We'll have, to, we'll have to look to see if we can live stream. Or not live stream. We'll, look, we'll have to look to see if we can watch Kygo's performance somewhere. Wait, I think I have one more honorable mention. I've okay. just realized. We, we did not put one person on here who needs a resounding round of applause. Okay, Mr. Michael Massey for literally oh going God, out and fixing the track. He's out there kicking the side. That's my That was my favorite tweet of the week. I don't know if you guys saw it, but it was like, we put it up on our story. It's a picture of Michael Massey like kicking the, the um, barriers. Barrier. And it says something like, if this isn't me trying to get my life together. And I feel <laughs> that every single week. Just him, like, out there. The best was him, like, running off, like, back to race control. <laughs> it's like, you're a great, you're a yeah. gem. Huge shout out. Huge shout out to Michael Massey. Up next is the Brazilian GP in Sao Paulo at the Autodromo Jose Carlos Piace but better known as Interlagos. The 71-lap race takes place on Sunday, November 14th for round 19 of the season. 
For the third race in a row, we are headed to a track that we did not see a race in 2020 due to the COVID pandemic. And it's at a relatively convenient time for us in the central time zone. It will be very tricky to go back to early morning races for Qatar the following Sunday. The first Brazilian GP was held at Interlagos in 1972, and although it was not on the official calendar, it was a test to show the FIA that Brazil could host a Grand Prix. The next year, it would join the calendar in 1973. The track was built in World War II, taking inspiration from the Brooklands in the UK, Roosevelt Raceway in the USA, and Monthery in France. In the last four Brazilian GPs, we've had three different race winners. Verstappen in 2019, Hamilton in 2018, Vettel in 2017, and Lewis again in 2016. This race is the second in our late season triple header. And coming off of two Red Bull victories, Mercedes is going to be looking to capitalize. In theory, the Mercedes power unit should be far less compromised in Brazil compared to the high altitude of Mexico. It should be able to keep a better pace with the Hondas, but as we have seen this season, we really just have to wait and see. There is still so much up in the air that is left to be decided. And after a tough weekend for McLaren, Alpine, and Williams, will we see one or more of these teams find success in Brazil? It is key for McLaren if they hope to maintain their third place in the constructors as McLaren and Ferrari are now separated by just one point. And it's also vital for Alpine if they hope to stay in the current title fight for fifth. With just four races left in Kimi Raikkonen's career, it's going to be fun to see him in action after his best performance of the year finishing eighth after his very impressive first lap. Even though Mexico was one of the most difficult races for Russell all year, we have our fingers crossed that we see one more impressive shot from him before he departs for Mercedes. Maybe not so much for George, but definitely for Williams. I am still so excited to see him drive in a Mercedes next year. It's, I, I don't even think I've processed it yet, to be honest. But okay, anyway, there's so much still left on the table this year. And who will find success in Brazil? We will just have to wait and see. We'll catch you next week for our race recap. Thank you so much for listening to another episode. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us at Dirty Driving Pot on Twitter and Instagram. Until next time, stay dirty.